Welcome back to another episode of Finance with Fernando. I am your host, Fernando, the Mortgage Maverick Tacuna. Follow me on all social media at Real Mortgage Maverick. Today, we are going to be talking about what's going on in finance to qualify part due of three assets. I don't, I don't even know what an asset is because like, okay. I'm not investing. I, I got nothing. I'm working on the saving portion. We're, I'm still stuck on the income, but let's say I want to graduate. Tell me about assets and what, what is being used to pre-approve me. So number one, this is my buddy, Dizzy Parker. He hey. does my social media. Um, I mean, when it comes to assets, so I use the term assets, which is Really, um, I mean, it's it's a regular word, but some people don't know what it means. So assets, basically, what type of, um, you know, liquid and illiquid net worth you have, you know, checking, savings, um, real estate, uh, investment accounts, retirement, crypto, all that good stuff, right? Um, an asset could be a collection, right? It could be like a, a bourbon collection. But we it would like be- to remind people you can't use that to be qualified. I was going there. I was going there. <laughs> so, so an asset is something of value that you possess. When, when we relate it to finance, an asset will be money, cash, schadol, greenbacks. <laughs> cash? I'm pretty no, sure I know it's... that one. It's got a dollar sign oh. in it. <laughs> schadol? Yeah, what is that Italian word? That's, that's really escarole. That's what that is. Oh, an escarole. It's a food but item. They, yes, that's like spinach. Yeah, but we call it schadol. Oh, like spinach. Why didn't you just say that, Popeye? Well, it's like it's like a mozzarella. We say mozzarella. Anyway, yeah, I got a so on assets. We're digressing. Assets. So, so when you go to purchase a home, you need to have a certain amount of money or assets to not only provide a down payment, depending on the product that you're applying for, you know, some, there's some loan products you don't need, you don't need any down payment, which is like, for example, a veteran loan, it's 0% down. There's some other loan products that we offer with 0% down too, but they're a little more detailed. Um, you know, so you're going to have to have money to buy a house. You need to provide a down payment. You need to have money for closing costs. You need to have money for taxes to become an owner of the property. You know, so there are different aspects of, um, the transaction that you need to pay, pay for services rendered while you buy a home. So when we discuss assets, we're talking about what do you have in the bank? What's in your checking savings? You know, maybe you have some investments. You have a retirement account. Maybe you have a cash value of a life insurance policy. You know, maybe you have bonds from when you were a kid. You know, grandma, grandma or grandpa bought you bonds, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Those are all considered assets. So when I go through an application, I'm looking for what type of money someone has to consummate the transaction to make sure they have enough money to pay for the house. That's what I'm looking for. I've had clients bring up the bourbon collection. Everyone knows if you've been listening to me, I'm a bourbon guy. Um, I have a collection of bourbon, not super extensive, but some good stuff. And um, there's value to those bottles, but you can't use that or any type of like antiques, collectibles or whatever as an asset to purchase something. You could liquidate that. Yeah, that was going to be my question. So say I sell my expensive antique collection that my great grandma left me. How can I then use that to be a qualified asset? Because I know from listening to you, that's a good question. 
That's a good question, and that's kind of a curveball because I'm not expecting these questions. But <laughs> yes, that's that's a very good question. So the thing the thing about when you're selling something you own, you want to make sure that you could properly document it, okay? Because lenders will look at large deposits, and if you have large deposits, like the the example I always use is some people keep cash in a safe at home, right? If you have let's say ten or twenty grand at home in in, in a safe. Uh, as cash, you know, let's say you're a waitress or a waiter and you, you know, take your tips, you keep them at home, you keep them in a safe place, you don't want to put them in the in the bank, you're worried about the bank, you know, uh, recording that you're putting large sums of cash in, you know, the thing is, is that be aware that when you apply for a loan, you may not be able to use that money. So if you sell a portion of a collection, you may want to use an auction house to do it, or um, maybe like eBay, or, you know, one of those marketplace websites so you do have kind of a track record. You could show a listing, okay, so that you listed you, it for sale. If you sold the antique collection, like either as one large group or piece by piece, if you sold it on eBay, like that counts as something you can track and then then use yes. that money? Yeah, yeah. And typically there's a guideline when, it, when we discuss large deposits. So lenders and typically look at when they're not recurring, so if they're kind of like off the cuff, you know, one here, one there, whatever, the the amount of the deposit, okay, can it, it cannot exceed 50% of your gross income. So I'll, I'll give you an example. If you make $5,000 a month and you have a large deposit of $2,600, well, that's over 50% of 5,000, right? Because 50% of 5,000 is 2,500. So if you have a deposit of $2,600, the underwriter from the lender is going to say, what, what was this $2,600 deposit for? Okay. And that's where you would have to say, well, I sold an antique collection at auction. Here's the listing. Here's proof that I sold it. But if you're selling a few things and one's for $100, one's for $500, one's for $300, they may question it, but you could say, I'm just selling a bunch of stuff for my collection. And I do that all the time when it comes to my sports cards, my memorabilia, stuff like that. You know, it hasn't come up when I've gotten a loan. Um, but if it did, there's a valid explanation for it. So you and just kind of make a letter. Explain it like with some kind of proof of transaction accounts. Correct. Correct. One of the most popular ways to kind of get hit with a large deposit um, questioning from an underwriter, from a lender, is a wedding. Right? Oh, a yeah, wedding. You Think get about gifts. that. You, know, you get gifts. You get cash. You get checks. You know, sometimes... It's over ten grand, right? And and, and that makes and, sense if you're and, trying to buy a house. And they're all small married. little things. Here's a hundred bucks. Here's that. You know what I mean? And you may go different times to the bank. The checks may clear different times, so you may have multiple dates in which money is going in, and they start questioning it. So I, what I've seen clients provide is they may have an invitation for the wedding, and they just provide that, and they say, "Look, I got married. Here's that's, the invitation for the wedding." That's interesting. That's the way we prove it. There has to be a paper trail. So the biggest thing is, is that everything is documented and that's important no matter what, what episode you're listening of finance with Fernando is like the big thing about finance, everything has to be documented for a few reasons. Like I think it has to happen because the government wants your tax money. They do. I mean, that's probably the case, but it has to, to be logical. Birthday money. That's stupid. I mean, that's all nonsense. But <laughs> I mean, like the thing, the thing is, is like I don't think the twenty dollars that Grandma is giving you is. They really want to know about it. But they want to know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a little <laughs> crazy, and it gets out of hand. And there's, you know, it's not real life, right? Because yeah, we deal with money. You know, like we deal with money. 
informally, right? Like some people keep $20 in the car, you know, and they, they okay, here, here's 20 bucks, go and get gas or whatever, you know? So it's, it's never like, you know, if you lend someone $20, you have a contract, like I owe, you owe me that 20 yeah. bucks. You know what I mean? And it's so really good it's sometimes, to know that, uh, it's not as intimidating as having to go to an auction house and get this registered income receipt or something. Cause yeah, when, exactly. when you say asset, somebody like me, who is just like, I'm blue collar at this point in my life. I like to be white collar someday, but I'm blue collar. We don't, we don't really think about stuff like that. So when the word assets comes up, it, it can be a little intimidating. Like, I don't even know where to start with that, but it's good to know that like a wedding invitation counts as part of your paper trail. Yeah. It's, it's assets can be extremely basic. It could be a checking account. You know what I mean? And, and I, we use the term assets because I never know what a client has. Sometimes clients don't know what they have. Yeah. Seriously. I, think it's good. I mean, sometimes That's why I wanted to do this know, episode, by the way, because yeah, I mean, it could explain that to a lot of people that are just scrolling Instagram. We're trying to get them to own yeah, a home too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the point of, of whatever I do on social media is to educate. Right. And it's, and it's not, it's, it's just to simplify everything. It's to make it layman's terms, you know, because when I talk with someone, I do that in my own business, right? If I'm taking them on as a client and we're going through how to prepare them, you know, we're talking about how much money they have. We need to look at the big picture. And some people say, you know, like some people say, yeah, I have a, an antique collection. I have a bourbon collection. I have a, a memorabilia collection. You know, does that play a role? And, you know, my answer would be no, but just be aware if you're looking to buy in the long term, you could liquidate that. You know, if you need the cash, you could liquidate it. There are different ways to do it. And then we could count that. It, we could count that as uh, an asset. You know, we could count that as money for your closing. What we can't count is like what I said, money under the mattress. You know, uh, we have a two month look back period when it comes to your bank statements or any statements for that matter. So we look back at your deposits for the most recent two months. So you want to make sure that, um, you know, if you're depositing funds, you, you know, you have that consistency of having a certain amount of money in your account and then it's been there for quite some time. It's seasoned. You like that word, seasoned. I do, I do, because I don't eat bland It's like food. seasoning your chicken. You know, you want to season it for a little bit, let it sit for a little while, and then you cook it. Same thing. That's it, that's it. Actually, there's a pro tip. If you cook the chicken and then take it out of the oven and season it while it's still hot, it tastes even better. Cooking sure tips on finance with Fernando. <laughs> yes, finance and cooking. <laughs> that's it uh well you actually answered the next question i was gonna have like i've heard you talk about it but i just wanted to make sure it was addressed that that money under the mattress actually actually actually, actually. maybe we should ask if somebody is say they took on the second job because they've been listening to Dave Ramsey and they're like, you got a pile money. You got a pile money. Uh, they took on the second job as a server at a restaurant and they've been hoarding their cash in, in a pillowcase or whatever. What is the right way to use that money? Do you just have to let it sit in the bank for over two months or is there a different process? I mean, if you want to use it to buy a house, it has to be seasoned. So you're going to have to put it in. You're going to have to wait. Okay. You know what so I mean? And waiting it's, and it's, would fix it's based the problem? On, so the thing is, is that you have to be careful with depositing money in general, because if you deposit too much money based on banking regulation, they have to create a report, right? So you want to make sure that you're aware of that. But if you have a great deal of money and you need it to buy a home, 
you know, it's, it's important that the money can be tracked. So yeah, you're going to somehow have to get the money into the bank, right? Because it's a federal institution that issues statements. Okay. And this is, this is all big brother stuff, right? I mean, like, Oh yeah. They want to watch, you know, they need it. They need to see what you have right before you could use it. You know, if you're buying a house for cash, even then they're not going to take cash. <laughs> you got to You have to, you have to get like a cashier's check. They're not wow. going to take. Yeah, they're not because you see the problem with cash nowadays. And I know this is sound ridiculous. This sounds ridiculous. And I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this. I'm a landlord, right? And when people pay me, I don't want cash. I tell them. And like, there are a lot of landlords that are probably going to listen to this. They're going to say, you're crazy. You're paying taxes on that. Yes. I pay taxes on my rental income. The, the reason why I don't want cash is because I want to be able to use that money that makes somehow. Sense. Now, now for the landlords that own businesses, let's say you own a restaurant store, you're a contractor, you're, you know, you have businesses that deal in cash and you could use that cash to buy products or pay for services. Absolutely. It makes sense because you're avoiding the taxes, right? I don't have that. I don't have that. I work in finance. I do mortgages for a living. I happen to have a real estate portfolio. All the money going in and out of my account, it's all being done electronically. So, you know, I'll pay cash for some services around my house. But if someone gives me, let's say, $10,000, I mean, it's going to take me a little bit to spend that. You know, right, it's going right. to take me a little while. So, so I think it's important to realize that if you're a cash person and you're trying to do a large transaction, even like buying an expensive car, you know, if you go to a dealership, no joke, if you go to a dealership and say, I have 50 grand cash, I want to buy this car. They're going to say, we only allow you to give us $5,000 cash or whatever it is. It's really? something, it's something small. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I actually just, I learned that recently because, you know, cash used to be king when buying a car, you know? Yeah. You can so walk if a into car a dealership and like, well, there's no negotiating. I've got this. They money. don't want you to pay cash anymore. They, they want you to finance. I mean, it makes sense, right? They're getting money off of you. They're, they're, I don't so, understand so, how that works with a car dealership. I know how it works in mortgages because like that's directly tied to the bank, but car dealership, aren't they just trying to move a product? Well, the, the dealership is, but keep in mind, the financing company isn't the dealership. Oh, so they're, they're putting pressure on the dealership? It's a, it's a lender. Yeah, it's a lender. That makes sense. You know, it's a lender. So, and, and the thing is, is that the dealership is going to take the money and then they have to deposit it, right? So if they get 50 grand, now this business is like, oh yeah, here's 50 grand and the company, you know, and the, the bank is like, we got to write this up. It's over ten thousand dollars. You know what I mean? So it's just this vicious cycle that it's like cash is king, but cash is king in a bank. It's <laughs> yeah. so. For example, if I, you know, I had I had like a, a sewer pipe done, and it cost me like twenty five hundred bucks. Right? The guy came out. I was like, I could pay you credit card, check, cash. What do you prefer? He was like, if you pay me cash, I don't have to put it through the business. I don't charge you tax. I paid them cash, right? But how many times are you dealing with that? You know, how many not, times do you deal with something like that? How many places are that way anymore? Because everything is regulated. That's exactly so, it. Now he's going to, he's, he has to use that cash to a point where he's not depositing lump sums, right? So maybe he's, do, he's paying someone in cash. You see what I mean? He's paying his workers in cash. Yeah. There's definitely you know, some so workers under the table for sure. Yeah. It's just one of those things where, you know, and the government doesn't want to hear that. They're aware that it happens, but it's like, Nowadays, like I have all of my tenants sell me, they, they Venmo me. The other thing is, is that whenever you have those electronic, uh, like even the way I compensate you, it's all done electronically because there's a paper trail. So yeah, if I have to write off you expenses, can prove something. you could prove it, you know, you so, pay cash for something. 
I think that's a good a good transition to like your everyday person. Like I have a lot of you could barely call them blue collar. They're just all right, I'm working this week. Uh, a lot of those friends on Facebook and they complain about like, I can pay this amount of money for, for rent every month. Why are they denying me a mortgage? And I'm like, I got a guy for that. Listen. Uh-huh. Uh, so because most of them are like cash based people, like uh, contract hel- contractor helpers and, and the like. So per diem. You, yeah. Those kind of workers. Would you say that, those kind of people would be better off, like even if they're being paid in cash, that they deposit that money into a bank regularly. So at least it is well seasoned a little bit. Yeah, um, that's for sure on the asset side. But now that example you're giving me, we covered, we actually probably should have brought this up in the last episode in, for in income. In the income episode. The in the income, because cash-based income is tough. It, it's not... You know, there are loan, like I have a loan product that will look at your bank statements, your 12 months of bank statements to, sh- to, to derive income. Okay. So if you're, if you're cash based, because a lot of business owners do this, right? They own a business. Like this is a big thing with barbers. Think about anyone who's listening or watching this. Think about your barber, right? Your barber probably makes great money, right? Because they charge you whatever, 10, 15, 20, 25, $30 for a haircut, right? Then you give them a tip. They're not claiming that tip. I'll tell no you right way. off the bat. And if they're claiming, yeah, if they're claiming that, they're probably a little crazy, but it is what it is. So, okay, let's say they're not claiming it. They're probably making, you know, an extra, however many tens of thousands of dollars above their regular income that they're claiming, right? That money can't be used if there's no paper trail. But if they put it in their bank account, I have an investor that will allow me to look at 12 months of bank statements and derive deposits, average deposit amount, and de- and actually derive income from that. You know, so there are loans out there that do that, but you have to make sure that you're doing one or the other. You're either showing it to the IRS or you're putting it in your bank. It needs I'm to glad be seen. you brought that up, actually, because actually, actually, and we're going to throw in like as part of our drinking game because apparently I do that. I just noticed, but actually, actually, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get that shirt to sell. I have a friend. Well, it's a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. But this guy just he started his passion for for barbering and he also just had a baby. It's in the air right now, I guess. Uh this baby is like 2-3 weeks old and they're just getting their life together. They're going to eventually want to buy a house and if he follows through with the barber career, this is probably good advice for him if he's taking those tips. Uh, should he be putting those tips in into the bank to be able to yeah, absolutely. Pre, pre-approve yeah, with this? Yeah, because why? I mean, think about what's what's the negative of putting it in. I mean, worst case scenario, what's the, what, what is the, the actual negative? <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, you have to you have to physically go to the bank. Yeah, okay. like I have which which you could deposit who, it in the ATM depending on how much it is, so you don't even have to see someone. If yeah. You don't want. I have one you client know. who pays me solely in cash and I'm like, why do you do this? It would be so easy if I didn't have to go to your house to get paid. It would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I ha- listen, I have a tenant that will pay me half uh, Venmo or Zelle um, and half cash. And it, it's, it's like such an inconvenience. Cause she's like, 
can you stop by the house and pick it up? And the house is like 20 minutes away from me. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, all right. So, and it's completely out of my way most of the time. So I got to go all the way over there, pick it up. And then you know what I end up doing? Depositing it in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's exactly For real. what I do. Uh, For real. Cause I'm like, cash, I'm like, I okay. The bank too. Yeah. I'm like, okay. It's, you know, let's say it's 13, 1400 bucks. If I don't have any major expenses for any repairs or anything, what am I, what am I spending that type of lump sum? And if I am, it's usually being put on my credit card, so I'm paying my credit card. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, yeah, what, so you like can't pay that it, in it, cash. It always yeah, ends up so in it, a bank, so you might as well just it, cut out the middleman and deposit your money. Technology, technology has changed our financial. It's changed our world, but it's changed our financial world to make sure that you are monitored at all points. Right. Oh yeah. And I think like, the biggest thing is, is that we, you know, there's a lot of people who still live in the past where they're like, you know, I don't want, I don't want the bank to see I have X amount of dollars. I don't want to keep this in the bank. I don't want, you know, I want to have like I have some clients that have seven bank accounts. You don't need any of that. You don't need right. that stuff. Like you don't. Oh yeah, yeah. Like they're like, well, I keep a little money here, a little money there, a little money here, a little. Like I get about having different bank accounts. I have different bank accounts. I I have individual bank accounts for every property I own. I have bank accounts for the mortgage maverick expenses. I have bank accounts for personal, for joint, with my wife. I have it at different bank. I get it. But I do that for organization so I could yeah. track money going in and out. But if you just have seven personal bank accounts, why are you doing – number one, your mortgage person is going to blow their brains out because it's it's like – you're like, okay, I have twenty grand here, 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 and here, but I need all this money to buy a house. And then we got to get statements for the most recent two months for those, <laughs> yeah. from those bank accounts. And you got to So you're hurting them. yourself. And That's you got to collect them and then I got to go through them. And, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, it, you know, when, when we discuss assets, simplify it. Keep it as simple as possible um, because then you're going to be able to track it better. See, I think one of the biggest things as consumers we don't realize when it comes to assets, when it comes to money we possess, we're not really good at, like, keeping tabs on it, which is ridiculous. Like, so, for example, right now, I'll ask, I'll ask you a question. You always ask me questions. How much oh. money do you have in your checking account right now? You don't have to give me a number, but I'm saying, do you know exactly how much money you have in your checking account? Exactly? No. I know it within $100, though. Okay. So, yeah. that's a good thing, right? I've, I've been on the phone with someone where I'm like, it happened earlier today. It happened earlier today. I'm like, how much money do you have in your checking account? I have $79,000. Okay. Send me your bank statement. The bank statement, it was off by ten grand. By $10,000, $10,000. Now, the difference is that when you're buying a, home, uh, a house or a home and any type of big purchase, you know, you need, you really need to show every penny, right? Because, uh, you know, even if you're buying a home and like, let's say you have $2 million in the bank and you're buying a $300,000 house, fine. Okay. You could show that you have three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000. Fine. But, you know, if you're buying a house and your down payment is 70000 you say you have 80. I get a statement and only show 70. There's a problem because now you're using all your money to buy this house. So yeah, having a out. grasp on how much money you have and tabs of that money going in and out, it's important. Keep it simple. Remember, you remember back in math, kiss? Keep it simple, Keep stupid. it simple, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So appreciate you watching this episode. Hope you found my input and Dizzy's questions based on our asset habits and what you should be looking for before applying for a home. I'm going to help you finance your first, next, and last home. Follow me on all social media outlets at Real Mortgage Maverick, and I'll catch you on the next one.